Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Tuesday, March 21st, 2023. It's been 3,310 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 391 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain that Russia's large-scale winter offensive has culminated. Second, we maintain that Russian combat potential is fading across the entire theater of war, and the Russian Federation armed forces are combat ineffective. Third, we assess that the Ukrainian defense of Bakhmut remains in a critical state and is fluid, but defensive lines have been stabilized. Fourth, we assess there is an elevated risk of cruise missile attacks against Ukrainian civilians and civilian infrastructure over the next 24 hours. Fifth, we maintain that Russian forces are experiencing a critical shortage of anti-tank guided missiles, or ATGMs, and man-portable anti-tank weapons. Sixth, we maintain that Russian forces are experiencing a perceived shortage of non-precision artillery munitions theater-wide. Seventh, we maintain that Russia no longer has the resources to cause catastrophic economic, social, or military disruptions by targeting Ukraine's electrical infrastructure. Eighth, we maintain that Russia can no longer tap its strategic reserve of caliber cruise missiles and can only launch its monthly production of 25 to 30 missiles. We probably don't need to keep repeating this. Ninth, we maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident due to the de-energization of Ukraine's electrical grid as long as the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, continues to target Ukraine's power industry. Tenth, we maintain that short of using chemical, biological, radiological, or nuclear, that's seaburn, weapons, the Russian military will continue doing everything possible to capture Bakhmut, regardless of the cost. Eleventh, we maintain that the very public infighting between private military company or PMC Wagner Group's leader Yevgeny Prigozhin and the Russian MOD has reached a dangerous level, with Prigozhin repeatedly claiming that it's impacting Russian offensive operations. Twelfth, we maintain that the Russian MOD is actively working to eliminate the influence of PMC Wagner Group and Yevgeny Prigozhin both on and off the battlefield. Thirteen, we maintain the Kremlin is actively attempting to topple the legitimate government of Moldova. 
And finally, we maintain the Kremlin is also actively interfering with the Georgian government's attempt to join the European Union. One year ago yesterday, on March 20, 2022, the operational tempo had slowed theater-wide outside of Mariupol, with Russian forces digging in and Ukrainian forces preparing for a March 22, 2022 counteroffensive. Russia reached its apex for territorial control, occupying an estimated 42% of Ukrainian territory. Russian forces shelled the Sumichimprom chemical plant, causing an ammonia leak and necessitating an evacuation zone of 5 kilometers. The Russian MOD issued an ultimatum demanding the unconditional surrender of the city of Mariupol by March 21st at 0500 hours Moscow time. Ukraine rejected the demand. The Russian VKS bombed an art school in Mariupol that up to 400 people were using as a shelter. The number of casualties was estimated at 200, but will likely never be known for sure. Ukrainian commanders requested Russia pick up its war dead, which were accumulating in refrigerated railroad cars. Near Izum, a battalion tactical group, or BTG, with the Russian 47th Guards Tank Army, was all but destroyed by Ukrainian defenses. Within Izum, the United Nations delivered humanitarian aid to the besieged city of 46,000. Protests against occupation continued in Kherson and Enerhodar, with Russian forces firing into the air and deploying tear gas in Enerhodar. Russian collaborator Pavel Slobodkov was executed in his car near his home in Kherson. Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Donbass region in Luhansk. In the Svatova operational area, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that Russian troops launched sustained attacks on Novoselivsky without success. In the Kremina operational area, the situation remains unchanged. Russian mercenary mill blogger Wargonzo claimed that Russian forces attempted to advance on Makivka without success. We are skeptical that a video circulating online of a single Russian tank reaching Makivka is recent. The terrain is too green to match current conditions, based on the most recent EO browser Sentinel-2 2LA highlight-optimized natural color satellite images from March 14, 2023. Positional battles continue from Ploshanka to Zhitlivka, with no changes in the situation. Fighting in the forested areas west, southwest, and south of Kremina continued, and in the forested areas south of Dibrova. The GSAFU reported a Russian attack on Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, was repulsed. In northeast Donetsk, in the Siversk operational area, War Gonzo reported that Russian forces continued attacks on Spirne and were unsuccessful. In the Bakhmut operational area, reports that PMC Wagner and Russian forces were consolidating remaining troops for another push were accurate. PMC Wagner and Russian troops attempted to advance on Minkivka on the M3 or E40 highway towards Slovyansk, west toward Hryurivka, and continued attempts to advance into Orikhovo-Vasilivka. None of those attacks were successful. 
Wagner mercenaries continued attempts to advance on Bohdanivka and Khromova, also without success. Within Bakhmut, fighting continued in the industrial district, near the Donba Reservoir, the Mariupol Cemetery, and along Korsunskoho Street. PMC Wagner has not released any maps showing the situation in Bakhmut in four days. We adjusted the map to record a Russian advance into the Mariupol Cemetery based on a geolocated video showing Russian troops in the northeast corner on maneuvers being hit by drone-directed artillery. Fundamentally, little has changed in the last 72 hours, with Russian forces making incremental gains, measured in meters, mostly in the southeast and southern parts of the city. Deputy Minister of Defense for Ukraine, Hanna Malyar, outlined the military leadership team in charge of the defense of Bakhmut. The head of the Bakhmut defense is Brigadier General Natov Andri, with the 93rd Motor Infantry Brigade Commander, Colonel Palisa Pavlo, and the commander of the 3rd National Guard Brigade, Colonel Oleksandr Pivnenko, leading the defense from within Bakhmut. Fighting continued near Ivanivske, with no change in the situation. In an act of political theater, PMC Wagner head Yevgeny Prigozhin sent a letter directly to his nemesis, Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu, appealing for aid, writing, quote, According to the available information, the enemy, he means Ukraine, plans to launch a large-scale offensive at the end of March or beginning of April and carry out flanking cutting attacks with the aim of cutting off the units of the PMC Wagner Group from the main forces of the Russian Armed Forces. I ask you to take all necessary measures to prevent the PMC Wagner from being cut off from the main forces of the Russian Armed Forces, which will have negative effects for the special military operation. End quote. In the letter, Prigozhin claimed his forces controlled 70% of Bakhmut and that in an unpublished appendix, he captured the plans of the Ukrainian counteroffensive. Some assessment here. If Prigozhin was that worried about his forces becoming surrounded, why would PMC Wagner be fighting so hard to extend their flanks, making them more exposed? And why publicly claim you have the secret Ukrainian battle plan? It's unclear if Prigozhin is setting conditions for Russia's inability to capture Bakhmut, is attempting to further undermine Shoigu by exposing his lack of support, or is attempting to blow a dog whistle among so-called turbo-patriots within Russia. This isn't the only critical issue that PMC Wagner is facing. In the latest United Kingdom Department of Defense Defense Intelligence Directorate update, it was pointed out that starting on April 1st, the bulk of penal mercenaries will start to reach the ends of their contracts. So far, Wagner Group has honored the agreement and sent mercenaries home with a full pardon from the Kremlin for their crimes. By the end of April, thousands more mercenaries will rotate out of Ukraine with no apparent way to replace the losses. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. In southwest Donetsk, the situation around the Avdiivka has deteriorated with the loss of the Krasnohorivka Plateau. Control is too tenuous for Russian forces to set up artillery units but the loss of the plateau cannot be minimized. This was a key defensive point for Ukraine and will become increasingly harder to recapture 
for the exact same reasons it was successfully defended for over eight years. In the Avdiivka operational area, we've moved Krasnohorivka to Russian-controlled, with Russian troops advancing to the eastern edge of Stepova. The GSAFU reported repeated attacks on Berdichi were repulsed. Fighting for control of Kamyanka continued with no change in the situation. To the south of Avdiivka, Ukrainian forces have been holding defensive lines. Russian forces supported by Mobix transferred to the 1st Army Corps, formerly of the DNR, continued their attempts to advance on Avdiivka from Opitne and Spartak and were still unsuccessful. Fighting around the Vodyana highlands and attempted advances on Sieverne and Pervomaisky continued. Oleksiy Dmitrashkivsky, a spokesperson for the Joint Press Office of the Armed Forces of the Tavria Front, said, quote, The enemy, he means Russia, is now constantly trying to encircle Avdiivka. I agree with my colleagues from the United Kingdom that Avdiivka may become the second Bakhmut in the near future, this is true. However, I want to say that all is not so well in the Russian units attacking on this front. Over the past day, the enemy has lost about three companies of personnel. End quote. And just a quick note. Three companies would be 300 to 600 soldiers that are killed in action, wounded in action, captured, or missing. Dmitrashkivsky added that the assaults are predictable, with Russian forces attacking from the same areas using the same tactics. This aligns with our own observations, appeal videos from Mobix, and the pictures and videos of the armored vehicle graveyards on the edge of Piski, Perevomaiske, Opitne, and Vodiana. While the operational area is under tremendous pressure, Dmitrashkivsky believes that Russian troops under the command of the DNR are, quote, the last reserves they have, end quote. In the Marinka operational area, fighting continued in the center of the Marinka ruins, with no change in the situation. Orgonzo repeated claims that fighting continued near Vukhladar in the area of the Mikilski Daches. Moving on to Zaporizhia, Lieutenant General Serhii Nayev, commander of the Joint Forces of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, reporting on the situation in Zaporizhia, said, quote, Given that the enemy has focused on developing the offensive in Luhansk and Donetsk oblasts, there are not enough military assets and personnel to conduct offensive actions on other operational fronts. However, the Russians are trying to create the impression that they are preparing offensive actions on other operational fronts, primarily in Zaporizhia, to divert the attention of our military command. End quote. There has not been a status update on the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant from the International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, since March 9, 2023. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Natalia Khumenyuk, Director of Communications for Operational Command South, or OCS, reported five vessels of the Black Sea fleet were on patrol with no missile carriers. This was a red flag for our team that a missile attack was imminent, but two reports indicate the Ukrainian military may have broken up Russian plans. In Mykolaiv, two Russian Supercam S-350 reconnaissance drones were shot down by Ukrainian forces. The S-350 has a dozen cameras to create highly detailed three-dimensional digital maps of the terrain. These drones are frequently used before Russian cruise missile strikes. 
In the evening, at least two Ukrainian drones struck the railroad yards in the city of Jankoy in occupied Crimea. Jankoy is arguably the most critical logistical node for all of the Russian offensive operations in southern Ukraine. The city is home to a military airfield that supports attack helicopters and Su-25 ground attack aircraft. Multiple videos appeared, recording the sounds of drones flying overhead, small arms fire, and then window-rattling explosions. Debris from the Russian air defense missiles landed on a store and home in southern Jankoy, several kilometers from the rail yards. As almost always, you'll find links to the photos and videos in our full situation report on Patreon. Russian occupation forces may have broken OPSEC, that's operational security, to show what was initially believed to be drone debris. The pictures were tentatively identified as showing debris from destroyed caliber cruise missiles. Ukrainian officials are claiming that the latest batch of caliber cruise missiles to arrive for the Black Sea Fleet were destroyed in the attack. Back to Mykolaiv for a sec. In Russian-occupied Pokrovsk on the Kinburn Spit, Ukrainian drones spotted a Russian repair base for armored vehicles, self-propelled artillery, and ammunition storage. Unsurprisingly, the base was attacked by drone-directed artillery, causing significant damage. In western and central Ukraine, Russian and Ukrainian forces traded artillery across the Dnipro River. Russian forces completed 66 fire missions on Free Ukraine using 393 artillery rounds, rockets, mortars, and indirect tank fire, striking the city of Kherson three times, killing one and wounding seven. In Antonivka, shelling damaged a church and private homes. In Russian-occupied Kherson near the Dnipro River, a Russian KH-52 helicopter was hit by Ukrainian air defense, forcing the pilots to eject and the loss of the rotorcraft. To docking MV-4 and MV-10 demining robots built in Croatia have arrived in Kherson. The machines can clear up to 5,000 square meters a day, depending on how complex the minefield is. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. The State Bureau of Investigation has established that a projectile detonated at a military unit in Cherniv Oblast during firing exercises on March 18th at the 169th Desna Training Center. Four soldiers were killed in the explosion, and it remains unclear what caused the accident. A criminal investigation for, quote, violating the rules for handling weapons has been opened. Zhytomyr Oblast continues to deal with power outages caused by the March 9, 2023 missile attack on Ukrainian power infrastructure. The issue is transmission, not generation, with Ukraine creating more electricity than needed. The Security Service of Ukraine, or SBU, broke up cells of the Bolshevik Communist Party, a Kremlin-supported organization with cells in Kyiv, Kharkiv, Lviv, Dnipropetrovsk, Zaporizhia, Vinitsia, and Cherniv. The raids resulted in 45 arrests. The SBU also arrested an FSB agent in Odessa. The unidentified man was a former law enforcement officer who the Kremlin recruited at the start of the full-scale invasion. He reported information on troop movements in Odessa and Mykolaiv to his handlers. According to the Norwegian Ministry of Defense, 
eight Leopard 2A4 main battle tanks, and four armored repair and recovery vehicles donated by the Nordic nation arrived in Ukraine. The European Union committed to providing Ukraine with 1,155mm artillery shells through the rest of 2023 and dedicated another 1 billion euros to accelerated ammunition production for stockpile replenishment. The United States announced another military aid package of $350 million. We break down the latest package in our full situation report, but in brief summary, it includes a wide variety of ammunition, demolition and mine-clearing equipment, and patrol boats. Speaking of breaking down, let's talk about the Russian military and mobilization. A criminal case has been initiated against the deputy commander of the Central District of the Russian Guard, Major General Vadim Dragomiretsky. He is suspected of receiving multi-million dollar bribes in a requisition scheme. Russian officials report that after presenting the evidence, Dragomiretsky pleaded guilty and wrote a confession. That is not even a little bit suspicious. Employees of the Russian presidential administration have been instructed to replace iPhones with smartphones of other brands and with a different operating system by the end of March. According to the news outlet's sources, the requirement to abandon iPhones is related to security concerns. The Kremlin believes that Apple iOS devices are more susceptible to hacking and espionage by Western specialists than other smartphones. Alternatives include the Android operating system and systems developed in Russia and China. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we're revisiting a story we shared a few days ago. On March 13th, New Zealand volunteer Kane Tatai saved his battle buddy, Ukrainian Alexei Gordiev. Gordiev was believed to have been killed in action 42 days earlier but in fact had been captured. His treatment violated the Geneva Convention, and his Russian captors never let him leave the house's basement, surrounded by his dead and dying comrades. He lived off crumbs, drinking from puddles, and eventually draining antifreeze-laden water from a heater. On March 15th, a photo was shared on social media of Titai and Gordiev at the Dnipro hospital where Gordiev is being treated. Although it is yet to be confirmed, Tetai is believed to have been killed in action yesterday. He was 38. And unfortunately, that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.